0: To the extent that is the American Bar Association Business Law Section's podcast series. Our podcasts provide general information. They aren't a substitute for legal advice from a licensed professional. We offer both standalone and serial podcasts on a variety of topics and welcome your feedback and suggestions at at americanbar.org. We hope you enjoy your selection.
1: Thank you very much. My name is Gary Ross. I am the host of VC Law, a new podcast from the American Bar Association, where we discuss legal aspects of venture capital. Today, it's my pleasure to speak with Alexander Davy of Riggs Davey, a boutique law firm. I believe they're located in Nashville. We'll hear more from Alex. Alex is here to talk about RA and especially ERA considerations when forming a venture capital fund and SPVs and uh, other investment vehicles. Alex, welcome to the program. Thank you. Why don't you start off with telling us a little bit about about yourself and uh, your firm?
0: Yeah, sure. So uh, my name is Alex Davey. I'm at uh, Riggs Davey in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, We're a a boutique corporate law firm. Uh, We service clients all over the country Um, and the attorneys at our firm have various specialties. Uh, I have uh, two generally. Uh, One is that I work with fund managers in the formation and and subsequent compliance for their funds. Um, and that's funds of all types of strategies, whether it's hedge funds, private equity funds, venture capital funds, uh, crypto funds, um, and, you know, A variety of different uh, esoteric uh, investment strategies as well. Um, I also work a lot with emerging companies um, and investors in emerging companies. So, you know, it's it's your general VC uh, and startup practice with, uh, you know, forming the companies at the start and, and going through all the different angel and venture rounds and equity comp plans and, Technology agreements and all, all those, and then, and, and then sometimes eventually a M&A uh, exit uh, at the end. So um, it's a, it's exciting practice. It's exciting time to be doing this, and um, you know we're we're having a good time here.
1: All right, well, fantastic. So uh, um, you are in my home state of Tennessee. I was born in Nashville and grew up in Memphis. And I'm uh, looking forward to eventually having an ABA meeting in Nashville. I don't know what's taking so long. Uh, as you know, we had the last one in Atlanta, and uh, Nashville can support it. So hopefully, hopefully, one one day soon we'll be uh, we'll, we'll we'll be on uh, what's that Main Street downtown? With all the bars, Fourth Street, something like that. Fourth oh, Broadway.
0: Street. Yeah, broad. Yeah, I think you're thinking of Broadway. Yeah, that would be great to have it here. Uh, yeah. that would yeah. be really exciting.
1: Good deal. Well, one thing Alex didn't mention was this amazing blog, Strictly Business, uh, which I've found extremely helpful through the years. It's always been very informative. Alex, how long have you been doing the blog?
0: Since 2011. um, And the the blog has sort of uh, gone through different iterations in in what it focuses on. Um, These days, um, I mostly am blogging about Fund compliance issues, but some of the other attorneys in our firm occasionally write about startup issues, and so do I uh, from time to time. Um, and we cover regulatory developments for fund managers, and then I also put out a lot of just um, you know, what's best described as evergreen content, just uh, summaries of the law that are helpful, you know, things that I wish were out there that aren't, like, for instance, I do a 50-state survey on different ex- exemptions for, for fund advisors and things like that.
1: Okay, great. And your blog can be considered legal advice for, for the readers, correct?
0: no <laughs> certainly <laughs> not um, We try to con- condense the information as much as possible, uh but of course, when you do that, that means that the information doesn't necessarily apply in all situations so um you know it's no substitute for for talking to a lawyer, but uh it, it's it's often times a good starting point
1: yeah yeah, okay. Uh, well, as I said, I found it really helpful for the year. So there's a lot of people out there that you probably don't know of who appreciate your your blog. Uh, today i'd like to talk about exempt reporting advisors a lot of people might be familiar with the term registered investment advisor ra which is uh, what i consider standard investment advisors people inv- advise retail investors and institutional investors and just people who have a uh, make a living giving people investment advice like my parents have an investment advisor uh, we don't just yet but uh, uh folks who do that have to be registered investment advisors in most uh, situations here in the fun world where alex and i dwell in the exempt reporting Reporting advisor tends to be more important than RAs. Though we'll talk about situations when they, uh, when folks are RAs. ERA is exempt reporting advisor. That's what that. Uh, that's what the the acronym is for. Uh, Alex, has the ERA concept always been around?
0: No, I mean it. It, uh, it came about as part of the implementation of the Dodd Frank Wall Street Reform and Consumer Protection Act. Of- 2010 um better known as Dodd-Frank um yeah essentially Dodd-Frank provided for specific exemptions from registration it also ended some exemptions from registration or modified others um and so the the two two of the major exemptions that were around after Dodd Frank, are a, a exemption that uh, for advisors that solely advise private funds and have assets under management of less than 150 million. Um, Alternatively, it also provides an even more generous exemption if all of your funds are venture capital funds, in which case there's no limit. So a, a, a advisor that only advises venture capital funds uh, is also exempt. Uh, the, the flip side of that is that the statute delegated to the SEC the right to issue regulations to require reporting and record keeping. And so this is part of that. And the SEC essentially said, "Okay, well, if you're going to take advantage of this exemption, you need to report a shortened version of Form ADV every year.
1: Yeah, before Dodd-Frank, there was a small advisor exemption. If you had 14 or fewer clients in any 12-month period, then you didn't have to do anything. And uh, as you know, the client in this situation is the fund on the SBV. So a lot of people took advantage of that. Dodd-Frank, uh, Congress is always fighting the last battle. And Dodd-Frank was really, in, in my mind, um, a response to Enron, and so I'm not sure why the advisor, you know, why advisors fell into to this act. Uh, do you know why they uh, decided to address advisors? I didn't really think anything was broken at the time.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, I think uh, I would think of Sarbanes Oxley as the Enron response, and I think that this was the collapse of the mortgage market. Uh, Response. So, what? Where I would put that is that they were concerned about systemic risk. So they were like, "All right, let's let's swallow up all the information we can for hedge funds and and private funds." So. All, they, they they got almost all of the funds, other than like really small funds, you know mm-hmm. under 25 million, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, they they got all of those to provide some reporting on Form ADV, and then they added other regulations for even larger funds over 150 million to report on Form PF. So they're they're just trying to gather information. Whether it's helpful or not is another matter, but that that's the policy goal.
1: Yeah, yeah. Do most of your small fund clients, do they do they know about ERA? Is that concept out there? Does everybody know, or do do a lot of people are they are they not familiar with it when you tell them that they need to get get it?
0: Uh, you know, most do. I would say that it depends on what they think they're doing. So like if you if you get a client who wants to start a fund, most and and it may be a self-selected group for me because I have this blog and so I get a lot of, of just clients who find me that way and I write about this stuff. Uh, but uh, what I find is if, if, if a client comes in mind thinking, I'm going to go start a fund, they, they do a little poking around. And right. and generally, they're familiar with this idea of registering with the SEC or, or the state um, or even the particulars of exempt reporting advisor filings. Mm-hmm. What I find that they often don't always appreciate is the difference between registration in under the advisors act, the versus the investment company act or the securities act. So they think that, oh, I don't need to be registered with the SEC. That means like I'm home free. And and, and of course they may right. have state registration issues. They may have, but of course they'll have to do, you know, standard securities compliance for private offerings and and make sure that they're exempt under the Investment Company Act
1: yeah yeah our larger funds they uh the folks know about eras and and form adv and the like a lot of times they don't know the concept of era but they know adv they know the form adv when we're we going to do our form adv filing um the issue is the people running spvs and the like so do people running spvs uh why don't you say for the audience people at, at what point do people running special purpose vehicles like uh LLC or whatnot that's set up specifically just for one investment, do those people have an ERA uh, or Form ADV obligation? Uh,
0: they may. Um, the, yeah. So uh, it's a complicated question, but that it does sort of get back to my original point of like, it depends on what they think they're doing in their mind, right, N- right. not as to what laws apply, but as to what they their expectations of what those laws. So if they think they're starting a fund, often they will they will kind of get this SEC registration or issue. Um, but if they don't think they're running a fund, which a SPV could be a fund, um, mm-hmm. then, uh, then yeah, it's, it's very possible that they'll be completely shocked. Um,
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> you know, often, though, I mean, if they're small enough, they may... And if they're in the right state, it, it may be possible to get them through that without a without a filing, um, depending on you know, some particulars.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, let's go back to just a standard fund. So, a standard fund, a general partner, and a. Let's say it's an LP. We have a, a general partner. Usually it's going to be an LLC. And then we have the fund entity itself as an LP. And then we have the investment manager, usually an LLC. So out of those three entities, so which one would you categorize as? Uh, the advisor, what would you recommend to a client? If a client comes in and says, Hey, I want to start a small fund, let's say fifty million, and they're just they're gonna have these three entities, the GP, the fund, and the investment manager, what and everything is open, the client doesn't really have a preference, what would you tell them which entity should be the form ADB?
0: uh generally if they have those three entities it's usually the investment manager um now if if they are coming in and intending to start one fund um it's possible that the gp and the investment manager may be one in the same entity Mm -hmm. um they may have reasons for separate other reasons for separating it but the main reason to separate is often when you have multiple funds you've got one's centralized authority that is the investment advisor, which accepts the obligations of being the party that provides investment advice and is covered by regulations. Um, But, Short of that, if 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 they're um, if they're coming in and starting a fund and they have one entity as the manager, the GP, uh, that that'll also be the investment manager and thus the ERA. But if they separate out the investment manager, then that would be the ERA.
1: Yeah, yeah. And if they want to do a series of funds, does that change your answer?
0: Uh, well, no, but it complicates it, right? I mean. <laughs> <laughs> So I mean they've got a series of funds, then they uh that that is you know, generally they as I mentioned, they you know, you you can combine you can have each fund have a separate investment management uh agreement with one common investment manager. Um that's what a, I often see, uh, and I think that's probably the most efficient way to do it. Um, now, yeah, if you're talking about don't want to have to do a form series, for each fund. that's a whole other chain of words. Yeah,
1: there. yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, no, I was just getting at that. If you have, uh, I mean, uh, we don't want to have to do a form ADV on each fund. So if they come to me and they want to launch a fund, you know, one a year, then uh, it would it would be good to have the same investment manager for all those, whereas they might be forming a new GP for each fund. And so uh, right. if we had the GP as the form ADV, uh, filed a form ADV on the GP, then we'd have to do one every year, which would be a little annoying. Um, another thing in my uh, that I find, uh, and I don't know about you there, uh, people are also surprised how, how long the ERA has to be in effect. That it's not just, okay, fun launch, you file the form ADV, and then you're done. That you have to keep renewing it. Um, mm-hmm. So why don't you tell the audience how long does the ERA have to be uh, in effect? Is it just until they collect money from everyone? Or is it until the dissolution or until is there some other part where you can where you can withdraw the ADV or or not pay the renewal fees anymore?
0: Well, it it really is in effect while you're operating as an investment advisor that is not registered and would otherwise be required to register if Mm -hmm. the uh, they weren't Taking advantage of one of the two exemptions that has the ERA filing, so uh, well, you know effectively what that means generally. If the fund is in operation, um, you're probably providing investment advice to that fund, and therefore you would not withdraw it until that, and you would keep updating that. Um, you know year in and year out, there'd be annual renewal. There's occasions where there are uh times when you need to do interim updates as well so it's it's potentially a long time it's essentially like your license to conduct business so it's it's in there while you have a business
1: No, that's a good way to look at it. Okay, all right, sounds good. Uh, Well, why don't we get to these this federal and state divide? So you had mentioned earlier 150 million, and we know that there's another divide. Uh, Really, there's uh, three really at 25, 100, and 150. So talk a little bit about that. About when somebody, let's let's look at our example of 50 million. Let's say if somebody in in Memphis was starting a fund and they uh, were targeting 50 million, what would you uh, what, what would you tell them?
0: Okay, well, at fifty million, um, you're you're looking at a uh, at using a private fund advisor exemption or venture capital exemption. So you you're going to be filing an ERA um, with you know a, or a form ADV to be an ERA with the SEC. Uh, that doesn't end your inquiry though. Um, with every fund. You need to look at both the federal and state exemptions. And if you're, uh, you know, that is, unless you are registered as an SEC, uh, you know, full on registered SEC advisor, you do not have to register with the state, although you may have to provide notice filings. Uh, but short of that, you filed your, your SEC exempt reporting advisor. You also need to identify an exemption in Tennessee if in Tennessee, uh, you have a place of business. So looking at that, the, Tennessee actually has one of the better exemptions uh, available. It has one that is roughly in line with the pre-Dodd-Frank uh, exemption federally. So it's a 15 Client exemption: Clients being number of funds. So if you have one fund, you've got one client, um, and you know you're not holding yourself out as a as a money manager uh, to the public, then then you would be exempt under Tennessee, and you would not file anything. In fact, one common mistake I see in Tennessee is that people file their ADV with the state of Tennessee as well, and that will get you a nasty grab uh, from the uh. state
1: securities commission. Oh, okay. All right. Um, Okay. Well, let's talk about the NASAA model rule. So I know that you've uh, had a couple of blog posts about that. And uh, uh, I don't know when this was passed, what, 2011, something like that, coming up on 10 years around that, about how many states have followed this. And then why don't you tell us uh, what what exactly it is?
0: Yeah. Okay. So, In, t- in terms of the number of states, I, you know, I haven't counted it recently, and and the the rollout has been. It's hard to put a, a date on when it was passed because, of course, it was passed at different times in different states. The trend is towards more and more states uh, adopting it. In fact, I think Nevada has one coming online later this year, mid-year. Uh, so, uh, you know, more and more states are adopting model rule exemptions or ones that are similar to it with modifications, sometimes heavy modifications, sometimes very minor modifications. So you always, even if you're dealing with a model rule state, you still have to look at the details of the statute or regulation as it appears in the state's laws because they may be different. Uh, the model rule is essentially written by uh, the National Association of Securities Administrators, I don't know what the extra a stands for but um you know it's uh it, association it was a maybe
1: I'm, I'm not sure something like that yeah, I don't, I don't uh, yeah. know though <laughs>
0: Yeah, and 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 it's not the NASA that goes to space. Uh, it is the NASA with two, double A's, uh, and and it is a group of uh, regulators uh, from all over the country. So, the these regulators got together, wrote, uh, I guess, what they consider the model. Rule the, the 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 you know sort of best case scenario from their perspective of what how you would balance the the need to exempt these particular advisors from the requirements of registration versus investor protection. Uh, the, honestly, it's it's quite a complicated exemption. In reality, there's just a lot of caveats and conditions, um, which which can get. Really tricky, especially when you have different states modifying. Right. One of the those uh, conditions is that you file an exempt reporting advisor filing uh, similar to the SEC. So you might not need to file one with the SEC, but have to under your particular state's rules. Um, and so, uh, let's say twenty-five or thirty states have adopted this. So you know those states will have various exemptions that are. Quite similar, but may have some differences. But then you have states, as I mentioned, like Tennessee, which use a rule that are you know is just based on an old federal law that's no longer in place. Other states have really just uh, unique uh, r- rules to that state. So it it very much is a state by state practice. And again, I'll I'll plug my website strictly businesslawblog.com i do have a 50 state survey on this um that mm-hmm. you know I, I update from time to time there's on each state i list the last date i updated so you know always always look uh, especially when it's been a while since there's been an update but it, it it gets very tricky there's just a lot of different rules all over the country and and it really depends on where the advisor is that's that mm-hmm. it, it, People wonder, okay, so which state do I pick? Can I just form my advisor somewhere else? <laughs> right, I, and it's really, it's really a matter of old-fashioned physical activity of running the business. It's, it's where you're operating out of, and that's where you, you, you usually look at, at at the laws on this.
1: Yeah, and everybody says that they're on the cloud these days. Oh, I don't really have a place to live, and you know they're up in the air all the time. But you know they got to live somewhere. Where, where, you know, where. Where do they lay their head most nights? It's got to be somewhere. Right. Yeah, um, and going back to the NASAA rule, it's really uh, an an exemption for private fund advisors that offers a model exemption. Like Alex said, it's really complicated. I have it here in front of me. One thing that's and and what what it is the states that follow it it. Um, Uh, states that certain private fund advisors can file as an ERA instead of having to be uh, uh, registered in the state. One thing that surprised me, Alex, in, in preparation for this, I printed it out It had here, something about the additional requirements for private fund advisors, certain 3C1 funds, but it mentioned that the private fund advisor should advise only those 3C1 funds that are beneficially owned entirely by qualified clients. And I always thought the rule was that you could just take performance fees off of qualified clients, I didn't know that the actual model rule has in there that the that the fund can only have qualified clients that's sort of in, that's sort of interesting
0: yeah yeah i mean it's 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 not it's not the greatest uh yeah uh, Piece of regulatory work ever uh, mm-hmm. done, and, and it's got, as I said, lots of traps, and that—that's certainly one of them. Um, the the what you're thinking of is the federal rule, which lets you sort of opt out of it just by not charging them a performance fee. Uh, but the yeah. but the states that follow the model rule are um, different. Now, I mean, but I see things all over. Like just the other day, I was looking at South Carolina, and. Um, You know, it it has its own thing. I think for that rule, there may be, um, they may have backed off uh, a bit. And I think the rule is they just have to be accredited investors or qualified clients. But then Mm -hmm. they add a separate section, which requires enhanced disclosure in the PPM uh, when you charge a performance fee for for non-qualified clients. So there's just, there's a lot of variation out there.
1: All right. And does the form ADV have to be filed before the fund can launch? A lot of people are confused about that. They'll be on us. Hey, have you filed it yet? Have you filed it yet? We really want to launch.
0: Yeah, <laughs> and that can that is very confusing. Um, so if you if if you're just talking about an SEC exempt reporting advisor filing, um, the deadline in the instructions, I believe, is sixty days after relying upon the exemption um so that gives you some leeway uh in addition there may be funds uh, and i've sort of alluded to this that are so small fund advisors are so small that they don't need to rely on an exemption uh for this for instance there is an outright sec exemption for sec registration that says if you are under 25 AUM and you're located in a United States state that, that the SEC essentially just opts out of the registration business altogether. So you may not be an exempt reporting advisor for that that particular uh, purpose. You could choose to be, and there may be reasons why you may choose to be, but. You don't necessarily have to. You could say I'm not relying on that exemption. However, mm-hmm. <laughs> there's there's caveats as a, as you know as there always is it, for an exempt report for an advisor that's filing a similar type of I'm not going to call it an exempt reporting advisor, but like filing the similar truncated form ADV because of a model rule exemption. Then I've seen practice be all over the place on that. Um, mm-hmm. Some piggyback off of the instructions on Form ADV, which would then mean that it's within 60 days of relying. Others say before you even start operating, you need to, uh, to, to have this filed. So um, it's a, uh, the, and, and of course, the other thing is the exempt reporting advisor filing for model rule uh, exemptions, I, I believe, is a condition to the exemption. So, you know, failure to file could jeopardize the exemption from investment advisor registration. Whereas, with with the SEC, if you failed to file, but otherwise met the conditions, you have a regulatory violation, but not necessarily a failure to register violation.
1: Alex, that's a good point. Yeah, that's that's good. Um, I'm afraid that we're we're uh... I uh, hope we're not confusing the audience too much. I think the takeaway is uh, find good legal counsel and uh, make sure that they're <laughs> on top of all this. Um, now, the ERA is not just uh, filing the Form ADV, so there are also a little bit of compliance responsibilities that go along with it. Uh, why don't you uh, t- tell us uh, what, what 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 other responsibilities are there going along with an ERA? And uh, understanding that can change state to state, but uh, you probably feel comfortable giving some general, general guidance.
0: Yeah, well, I, 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 you know, looking at the federal requirements um, and, and leaving out the states uh, for now, um, there's there's some, but minimal. Um, of course, as we mentioned, you have to annually renew Form ADV, um, and sometimes even interim—you know, on an interim basis—revise uh, it if there's certain items that change. And of course, you have your Form D filings as well. Uh, mm-hmm. The SEC largely exempts ERAs from its investment advisor regulations, but I, I, there are a few of them that do apply to all investment advisors, uh, namely a requirement to have a code of ethics. uh, And I think an insider trading policy is in there. I think the proxy voting and pay to play uh, rules apply. Uh, The SEC reserves the right to conduct examinations of exempt reporting advisors. Um, I don't know how often they do it. I've never seen one or never seen an ERA.
1: yeah. yeah, I never have either, Alex, but I know that they keep putting out lately, the last couple of years, they said, oh, you know, we're really bearing down now on ERAs. So I've heard like anecdotally, uh, but we, we fortunately uh, haven't had any of our ERA clients get get audited. Maybe they're just doing yeah. that to scare people. I'm not sure.
0: Well, here they're really focusing on crypto and they're hiring all these people. So maybe if you're a crypto <laughs> right, ERA, right. you, you have to worry about it.
1: Um... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, and of course, you know, this doesn't excuse uh, regulatory compliance under other statutes, right? It has nothing to do with that. So you've still got this, the anti-fraud rules of securities laws and the registration requirements of Securities Act. The, the The state laws may apply. There's anti-money laundering rules to abide by. There may be privacy laws uh, that you need to apply. Uh, apply as a um, as a financial industry participant. So there's uh, exemptions just being exemptions from registration. They don't mean exemptions from regulation.
1: Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, great. Well, wrapping up here. So uh, i got one question and then uh, I'll, I'll let you if you have any final thoughts that you want to want to offer so um, on your website as you said you named all these states and uh, if you're like us you probably do eras from uh, from a lot of different states Uh, we do a lot from california and and some some other places now uh, in terms of doing eras from states you're not licensed in so uh, would that be how does that jive with um, unauthorized practice of law
0: to put you on the spot uh, yeah good question um uh, you know first the securities lawyers have a long history of this if you're doing an offering it's going to be multi-states you don't hire local counsel for every time you're doing a form d or or filing in a, you know for a securities uh registration exemption at least most people don't i don't believe um the other thing is is that the under the The ABA's guidance on multi jurisdictional practice. The consensus seems to be flowing towards the idea that you get a license to practice law in the state that you are physically located. It's not all uh, unlike investment advisor law I guess in that respect and that mm-hmm. um, as long as you're conducting your practice out of your office in your state um, you're you're able to advise clients um, out of state um, not every state regulator may agree with that 100 uh, but it, it does seem to be the the prevailing practice these days.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I look at it as similar. If we're writing a legal opinion on Delaware law, you know, I'm not licensed in Delaware. I don't know about uh, I don't know about you, Alex, but uh, a lot of us uh, feel comfortable giving an opinion on Delaware law. Many of us feel more comfortable giving an opinion on Delaware law than the law of our home state uh, because so many corporations are in Delaware. So we'll, we'll know that inside and out uh, a lot more than our uh, lot more than our state. The rules do say that uh, if you can provide competent counsel to someone, and my feeling is, hey, if you've done exempt reporting advisors for the last 10 years, then you're pretty confident at it, and someone is better off having uh, someone like that you know, look up the ERA rules for the state than trying to engage someone who doesn't even know what ERA is, and they're in a state and trying to look it up for the first time, whereas mm-hmm. if, if someone has 10 years, so that's the way I look at it. Um, you know, like, like I said, I don't know if other people would, would agree, but that's my takeaway from the uh, professional rules. All right. Well, great. Well, thanks so much, Alex. Is there anything, you know, obviously a, a topic that doesn't get a, a whole lot of attention, though it's an important one because, you know, every single fund needs to, to look at the Investment Advisors Act at the federal and the state level and, and get good counsel. Do you have any takeaways that you would like to leave us with on, on this?
0: Well, you know, it's it's a, a changing... Area of law is is and that's really it's not only complicated but it's also ever changing and so it's important to keep up with developments. There's uh, a number of developments that uh, may affect ERAs uh, in coming up down the pike later this year. Um, the SEC has proposed a comprehensive set of regulations on private fund managers that are you know quite uh going to be quite onerous and a lot of the Mm owner most onerous provisions uh do apply at least as proposed right now to all advisors and that would include eras so that's that's uh that that's going to be an icy situation uh so that regulatory burden that we just talked about may increase significantly um mainly in the area of structuring funds there's a lot of things that that these new rules say you cannot do in your Fund documents that are pretty customary uh, in most. Fund yeah, right. So yeah, that's gonna be a problem.
1: fees and things. Um, so Yeah, there's a whole whole lot in there.
0: Yeah, and you know the other regulatory uh, thing coming down the pike is the, um, the Corporate Transparency Act, which is going to require and uh, en- entities to make some pretty complex determinations as to their ownership, um, which. Which, in, in when you have a complicated business, can be will be relatively complicated, and uh, and and while some ERAs are exempt under that, uh, that doesn't mean every entity affiliated with the ERA is exempt, and uh, and and so and not all ERAs, at least as proposed, are exempt. Uh, the ones that rely on the 150 million uh, exemption, I believe, are not. Uh, exempt from that. So uh, beneficial ownership reporting is is going to be the new headache for business attorneys uh, all over the United States, I'd say, in the next 12 to 24 months.
1: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if the rules are passed as proposed. So a lot of us uh, expect that it will be. Uh, it'll, it'll be interesting to see if anything changes. All right.
0: Well, yeah, the rules bury the statute, which wasn't exactly great.
1: (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah. We
0: have to look forward to.
1: Yeah. 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 All right. Well, great. Well, thanks again for taking the time out of your busy day. It's a busy time in VC. The SEC is keeping everybody busy with all these laws. And uh, it's just been kind of hot, hot market the last couple of years. So thanks so much for taking the time. And, Absolutely.
0: Uh, enjoyed yeah. talking with you and and, and, uh, yeah. and getting a chance to talk to listeners about this.
1: Well, thanks again. And, and thank you all for joining us on VC Law. And we will see you next time.
0: Thank you for listening to the ABA Business Law Sections podcast series, To the Extent That. The section offers a robust collection of content. To explore more about this topic or to learn about joining the section, visit ambar.org slash bizlaw. That's B-I-Z-L-A-W.